I have a lot of experience in isolation because when I was very sick, I had to live at home and I was pretty housebound for around nine months. I was bedbound for five months. I couldn't hardly get out of bed. Um, so I'm pretty experienced in this COVID-19 scenario almost. Save the planet and make it heal. You can help by eating a vegan meal. Come join us if you're vegan curious. Hi, listeners. It's another episode of Vegan Curious. I'm Sarah. And I'm Ashley. And we weren't really sure where we were going to do this episode, were we, Sarah? No, no. Well, it's um, wh- wherever we're doing this episode, it's definitely an upside down land, isn't it? Um, well, this is a very new reality we find ourselves in. Well, we usually sit in a room together and pull faces at each other when we do these podcasts. And today I'm obviously at home and you're at home and I haven't seen you for three weeks, which, hey, it's a blessing, really, but there you go. Yeah, there's got to be some advantages to COVID-19. But, um, but, no, but it is sad, though, isn't it? It's um, it's a, a completely different um, experience, I suppose, podcasting and having a conversation with somebody in a room versus staring at a computer. Yeah. Um, but we will persevere and do our best. So, as I said, we kind of undenied about doing another episode, but we thought we really needed to tackle the issue of coronavirus, because I don't think there's been that much out there in the media around veganism and coronavirus. And I think that there are some issues that definitely do need to be addressed. Um, So what are we going to talk about then on today's episode? Well, um, later on, we're going to look at how we think coronavirus might impact on veganism. Uh, But I think one of the key things is that there are a lot of people now who in situations where they're not able to go to the shops very often, they don't have a huge amount of ingredients, they might not have much money, so they need some help. So have you got yeah. someone who can help them? I think I might just have, yes. Um, so we are going to slightly shake up um, the order of this episode. Um, usually we do the interviews at the end, but we're going to jump straight into it this week. Um, and we had a conversation with Keely and Kirk um, Hayworth, who are brother and sister, and they have founded a business called Plates London, um, which is a plant-based business that has um, a food studio, which they'll explain a little bit more about, and also a restaurant that's open a couple of days a week. Um, they've got a really, really fascinating story. Um, and they've given us a little bit of insight into how it's affected them from a business perspective. Obviously, a lot of um, different businesses going through this at the moment. And as a hospitality business, this has really um, affected them and obviously meant that they've had to close temporarily. Um, and then also they're going to be talking to us a little bit about how you can make sure that you stay healthy when you're at home. So, um, Kirk and Keely, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Hi. Hello, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I know we've had a couple of couple of technical difficulties getting onto the line, uh, and we're all adjusting to this new reality. So I'm glad that we're we're finally here. Yeah, thank you for yeah. having us. Yeah, it's amazing what you guys are doing. Oh. So thank you. Oh, thank you. We'll uh, we'll pay you later for that one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, well, let's dive straight in. I'd really love to just hear a little bit about. I guess kind of how you guys became vegan briefly and uh, um, and then also how that um, led to this idea of, of plates and how it kind of sparked this um, new new business that you've embarked on. Yeah, of course. Keely, do you want to answer that no, one? No, I think you go with this one first. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, let's cut a very long story short. Um, basically, um, about 
five years ago, um, I got very sick um, with Lyme disease. Um, and then I, but for a couple of years before that, I was dealing with a lot and lot of symptoms and I, I wasn't being diagnosed. I wasn't being um, understood. I wasn't being listened to because all my symptoms were very invisible. Um, I was just from, from medication to medication. Um, and after about four years of this, and actually Keely came to the majority of the appointments with me with my father, um, cause there were so many of them and it, I became so frustrated because I was not being listened to. And then they were telling me, come back in three months and we'll tell you what it is. So I was like in my head, you know, I was a lot younger then as well as 26, 27. So I was just, I just wanted to get better. You know, I wanted to run again and I wanted to not have any pain again. Uh, and it was always just like a different doctor, just not taking my symptoms seriously and just giving me more drugs and basically kicking me out the door. And after four years of this treatment, I got so angry and so upset and it was actually making me more ill because mentally it was playing with me because I was getting my hopes up because I'd have to wait six months for this appointment. Then I'd get to the appointment and I'd, I'd be treated like this. Um, so yeah, after about four years of this, I just got very, very angry and very upset. And I hit the wall and I said to my dad, I'm not doing this anymore. I can't keep doing this. Like it's, it's so frustrating, you know, to tell a story over four years to a doctor in an hour. And then three months later, they, you have to do the same thing again to a different person. And they just don't take you seriously and just give you medication. Um, so I started to delve into it myself and started to basically um, take responsibility of my own health, listen to my own symptoms and started to write down how everything that I felt, all my symptoms, and I started to put them, you know, in place to kind of find out what it is, try and put the jigsaw puzzle together. Um, and then it was actually a friend of a friend who rang me who knew I'd been suffering for years and years. And he said, you, there's someone on the news talking about Lyme disease. You need to, you need to get, you need to, you know, just Google it, Kirk, and, and see see what you think of the symptoms. And as soon as I Googled it, I was like, oh, my God, I knew straight away. Anyway, uh, cut a long story short, went to the GPs again. They wouldn't believe me. So then I had to go private, um, have my test done in America and Germany, which cost um, around £3,000, was it, Keely? Yeah, we it? I think it's even yeah, a bit more. Two and a half, something like that. So you can see how extreme it is. And, you, you know, it's a very lonely, not taken... You know, there's just not enough uh, help and education on, on an illness that is also an epidemic. You know, there's so many people suffering in silence and they're just not getting the support from the NHS. Um, anyway, so this this particular um, clinic that I got tested with told me that they wanted me to put me on antibiotics um, for the first month, which would be intravenous, um, six days a week, and it would be £4,000 a month. And it would be continuous, so it wouldn't just be one month. So obviously, years prior to that, I've learned a lot, not just to go, okay, I'll do everything that they say. So um, we decided as a family to kind of just do some research and make a decision together and not just rush into this because I read. So basically, I started to read how people have been reacting to all these antibiotics and I started to get in touch with people that had suffered for a long time. And then I made a decision that um, I would try other ways first and not try this way f first. Um, and then obviously being a chef, I was like, well, what I do know is, and what I am super passionate and energized about is food. So I started to read about the gut microbiome, which at this point I knew absolutely nothing about. <laughs> for, 12, for 12 years, I had worked 18 hour days and 
I've been that guy that's drank just two coffees all day and not eating anything, you know, that in high-end Michelin star kitchens, that's kind of that's kind of what the lifestyle was, you know. You quickly down a few um down a few coffees, have a Red Bull, and uh, if you're lucky, you get to, you know, stuff in a bit of food at six o'clock. And then- <laughs> Sounds like student lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> without without straight- the booze. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you're straight, in, you're straight into service. So, um, and you're in the working environment, very high-pressure environments, you know, very stressful environments. So actually, our body needs the opposite of that. But, yeah, you just, you just, there's no excuse, but you just didn't have time in that in them, in them days. Um, so yeah, basically I started to research about food and I was like, reread that Lyme bacteria, you know, I've been feeding that bacteria in my gut for four years by eating sh- white sugars, uh, red meat, um, lots of dairy. Uh, basically I just, you know, I didn't, I knew nothing about diets basically. I knew nothing about how food affects our mind and our body. And I didn't realize that if you have pain in your legs, that, it, that, that pain could be coming from the inflammation of the gut. Because for so many years, I, wherever my pain was, I was having a scan there. So if I was having pain in my legs and my knees, I'd be having MRI scans on my legs and my knees. So it's kind of like going down a kind of a dark track that actually um, wasn't actually the right. It sounds common sense to kind of have a scan where the pain is, but actually the pain was coming from my gut. Yeah. Yeah, which still, so many people still don't know that. I mean, no. a lot of the, um, like you say, microbiome, I mean, nobody knew what that was probably five years ago. And now it's the the new no. thing, isn't it? It's like the latest buzzword that everyone's talking about when it comes to nutrition. Um, but there's just not enough education around it, I guess, is there. And and, and obviously some people, like you say, suffering in silence, um, just, just like you were. Um, but I guess at least you're a chef, so you could try and help yourself out um yeah in a way was was that the straw that broke the camel's back then were you did you then switch to veganism or or uh, and, well, and, and it, it, i actually did um, an interview yesterday with someone asked me this very similar question it was kind of like so i i i, I, I got so bad basically i couldn't even walk through a door properly but i was still working so i was going to work and i was wrapping my i was rubbing heat rub on my legs and wrapping my legs up in bandage and going to work because I kind of all my life have been that guy that's like, you just work for anything and any problems you just work for. And that's kind of the mentality that got driven into me working in very, you know, high-end kitchens. Kind of that was the old school mentality, you know? Um, so, yeah, I basically I had to stop working. So my dad was like, you need to come home. So I moved back in with my father. And I just kind of like, and I said this yesterday, as a cook, you spend all your energy, passion, in everything you give into that plate of food that you're cooking for somebody that you're probably never going to see again behind a wall. I kind of reversed that energy and put that into myself. So I just started, you know, for the first time in my life, I had three meals a day, which I'd never done. Um, I started to, you know, started to raw juice that I'd never done before. I started to read about smoothies that I'd never done before, um, which are all very common now, but seven years ago, I actually weren't, weren't that mainstream at all yeah and I think it started with a progressive like building to you know removing dairy removing red meat then started to remove fish and it just gradually yeah. became it got to the point where um we were living together and as a family just you know decided to Kurt was like you know I'm going to fully um go plant-based or vegan and and, and actually but, uh, yeah but says the word vegan but actually seven years ago when we were when we were doing it I didn't actually know the word vegan I didn't know I didn't know what I didn't know we was doing it do you know what I mean? I'm kind of doing it without knowing what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, people forget, don't they, that actually veganism, even as like a a label, a thing, a trend, has only really been around for 
I guess the past five years, it seems to have just really exploded, particularly over the last three years. So it's still relatively new, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, but I think the really positive thing was once we started to, once Kirk, and he also, I think the really important thing to mention is the um, tried to eat as much organic veg as possible. But once he changed his diet to fully plant-based and he was eating a lot of organic um, produce, uh, his symptoms started to, to lessen. Um, it, you know, and it really start, he started to see a shift. So obviously that then was the start of this journey for us. Amazing. Oh my gosh, it sounds like you've learned a huge amount over a short period of time. Um, yeah, and- pretty hard, yeah. <laughs> Um, I love it. So, so tell us, um, tell us about plates. Then, how how did that come to be, and what what is it that you guys are doing? What's your um, your your uh, your business, I guess. Sure. Yeah, I think that's one for you, Kiels. Uh, yeah, no, thanks. Um, so we, uh, I suppose, off the back of this journey that Kirk and I were going through, um, you know, and it, we are a really close-knit family, so we did really support Kirk and all kind of, I changed the way I ate throughout, and um, it just really inspired us to to really think about the future, and as Kirk started to feel better, we'd always um, dreamt about opening a restaurant together, um, but you know, with this big life change, we knew at this point it wasn't going to be a traditional style of a restaurant. So um, the other thing we'd also learned was the importance of health and how you can't take that for granted and how, like Kurt's mentioned, you know, his old pattern of working um, crazy hours and, you know, the demands of the restaurant industry um, weren't really for us anymore. Um, so what we decided to do was kind of merge our skills. And at this you know, around the time, um, this is about three years ago when we started Plates, um, we, before that, I'd actually been on a, a bit of a different path. I'd started out in food and drink and uh, our family actually owns a, um, a hotel and a Michelin star restaurant um, that we grew up in. So Kirk and I had had this in the blood and it's always been our thing, you know, both working in the food and drink industry. Um, but I'd actually taken a bit of a, a turn off that and um, gone into the creative industry. And my husband and I had started um, an art gallery and a creative studio. Um, so interestingly, I actually took a lot of what I'd learned in that journey and brought it into like the food and drink space. So Kirk and I um, started to look at like, what would that mean if we combined our skills? Um, we developed this concept of a food studio. So taking all a studio concept that you would normally find in a creative or design industry or you know an artist studio and actually decided to use that ethos um, and that kind of thinking and apply, if you put food and drink into the heart of it, and specifically plant-based food and drink, then you essentially have like a creative space where you're creating all sorts of wonderful um, developments or projects um, or collaborations with food and drink in this studio space. So that's where the idea was born. Um, And what we kind of noticed was that the, you know, there was brands were looking to, I suppose, explore like plant-based opportunities, whether it was just to be more sustainable or whether there's obviously a rise in vegan brands that wanted to partner with other like-minded people. Um, And there was also, you know, a need for, um, I suppose, in London, like creativity. um, It's always been like a a huge like hub for for obviously uh, the city and and we really wanted to explore that and put food and drink in the heart of it. So that's what we did. Um, and it was a bit of a, at that point, kind of, and no one, it was like, what is a food studio? We've kind of coined this term. Um, and we've now found, we found one other in Copenhagen and we're now starting to see it crop up a little bit more. Um, and I think it's, um, yeah, it's been a really wonderful journey. And um, we were just so fortunate that that brands and collaborators and uh, clients saw the potential in, in this space and actually wanted to work with us. So I think Kirk's talent is obviously hugely in the food creation and the development 
And he's really pioneered this style um, for plates, which is um, this like ha- taking his high end uh, and technical background in from Michelin kitchens and bringing it into this new space of just using plants and vegetables and fruits and essentially, you know, what defines, um, you know, veganism. So um, we've now kind of coined our own term as like plant based creative within that. Um, and we want to obviously share that with the world and show people that you can really push the boundaries of what's possible with with plant based and um, food and drink um, in the creative world. I'm trying to um, just to add into that. I'm trying to create vegetables as its own sector. Um, you know, like we, we talk about trying to lose the name vegan, and we showcase in in terms of vegetables in in its own in its own place. You know, like like you go to a fish restaurant or a meat restaurant, you come into a vegetable restaurant. You know, yeah, that's a really good point. Like Kirk. we're really trying to just celebrate the the beauty of vegetables yeah. with dedication and creativity. I think everything's like looking back with us. It's all about the craft. So how is, you know, something made? What's the care? You know, so much care and time and development goes into our projects that like Kurt said, we're kind of his skill and his specific area that we're kind of building on is like vegetable craft. Um, And that's, you know, I think that's wonderful because we also don't come from a veganism like background. So we don't want to leave out people who aren't really ready for full-on veganism. It's actually about being really inclusive and appealing to everyone, whether you're a meat eater or not, um, that you can come to this space, you can come to our restaurant that we also open on the weekend, which is essentially um, we open our studio doors on the weekend so that people can come and dine and try the, the food creations that Kirk's made in the week. And, you know, it's that demonstration of our kind of, um, yeah, gastronomic kind of uh, flair. So what do you say to people then who say that you can't have a fine dining restaurant that's exclusively veg? Well, that's de- we're proving that's 100% uh, I'm going to say just, just watch it. Wait and wait and see. Uh-huh. <laughs> wait and see. Come into the restaurant and eat and eat some. I guess. Is yeah. The, so we really challenge. Got, yeah, we got into um, a really wonderful flow just before COVID nineteen, um, where you know the weekend restaurant was booked up and um, for weeks and weeks, and we were just you know in a really good rhythm with you know people really recognizing right. the re- the restaurant um, in its own right, and then the studio be in its own entity and we're just at a bit of a crossroads now obviously with uh, with all this happening in the world as to you know how we build after that um but like Kurt said we you know watch the space we're really hoping for, for big things with the restaurant side of it as well yeah that's probably a good segue uh and I, I wondered how long it would take us to mention COVID-19 um yeah. and I was gonna I was gonna ask you you know obviously anybody in the hospitality space um is going to be hugely affected by this um but how has it been for you guys and 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 what are you doing at the moment um in order to sort of continue to drive the business forward even in the absence of being open yeah, I think if I answer the first bit, Kirk, about the business, um, and then Kirk's actually really central to a lot of what we're doing kind of going forward and the development side of things uh, behind the scenes at the moment. So um, with kind of how we're reacting as a business, like you say, I think everyone in hospitality and events, because we kind of straddle the two, we actually do a lot of events as well, whether they're private um you know, uh, parties or things um, for, for clients um, or whether on the public space. Um, so we do a lot of that as well. We've just been hugely hit. So I think the way we've looked at it is um, we've tried to take the first couple of weeks to plan and think and work out a strategy because um, we, you know, the, there's a huge amount of energy in the hospitality industry and a lot of people have started to instantly mobilize into a delivery model um, and, you know, take, and we, we, we considered that as well. And I think that's wonderful that, 
a lot of that's going on. But um, we also were conscious that we didn't want to um, make a rash decision that we weren't able to either, you know, we were going to set up. And then and then because of obviously how everything's changing week by week, as such a small business, we didn't want to kind of yeah waste any resources on setting things up that were then maybe going to be stopped in a few weeks by the government anyway. So we've taken the time. And I think that's really important. And I really urge other people who are in a similar situation to not feel pressured to instantly um, mobilize everything in the first week or, you know, it, it's a very panicking and worrying time for businesses, but um, we're now coming around to a new way of, of thinking with it. And I think um, we've, we've, we've just been fortunate enough that we're going to be able to, we've been developing products in the background um, for the last few years anyway. So we're going to try and focus on that and take a lot of our, our products online um, and actually try and help people in a way where we build an online shop and a lot of the food that Kirk's uh, quite famous for, the elements of the restaurant, like the gluten-free bread that we create, um, in, absolutely insane. Um, we've got a, a cheese range going live on the site. So we're just kind of starting to think about what do people need right now and what will also help us keep the business going. So we've decided to um, take a shop online and to start selling some of our products. Um, and they're things that people are going to really want and need at this time anyway. So the vegan cheeses we've developed, um, they're all made from cashew. Um, it's like a blue Roquefort style cheese which is incredible um and like i mentioned breads it's going to be other pantry essentials um we're going to build from there and see what happens because i think you know we could be in this for quite a, f- a few more months to come um so we're hoping that it's something that will help stabilize a business in the long term as well but also be really helpful in the short term for people um but we've also been doing a lot of other fun things like we launched cook-alongs which i'll let kurt pick up on um and Kurt's been doing quite a lot of like podcasts and sharing information for people around nutrition, like what kind of how do they invigorate their store cupboard? How do they make quick recipes that are really nutritious when they're looking after a family? So on those couple of points, I'll let Kurt take over on the cook-alongs and the stuff he's been doing. Um, <clears throat> yes. Um, so in terms of the cook-alongs, um, we are doing um, – last week we did Sunday, so we did Sunday soup. Um, so we made a wild nettle, um, <clears throat> wild nettle and spinach soup, um, and that the inspiration was that is be, you know we get our, our hours exercise that we're allowed every day, and there are so many nettles where I live, and nettles are incredible for our body, and they're almost like a forgotten plant. Um, so I thought, and it's obviously very cheap to make. You just need um, an onion, some garlic, some potatoes, and some stock. Um, and everybody kind of has those things in the fridge um, at this time, I think, and then they can kind of um, go and pick some nettles if they like, or they can make it with any other greens, you know, um, any other sort of kale or cavalanera, any other greens they can make that with. Um, yeah, so we just did a simple uh, Sunday soup, which went down really, really well. And then Friday night, I'm going to be making a butter bean chili with coconut sour cream and pickled cucumber. And Sunday this week, we're going to do a simple smoothie recipe. So again, just trying to, because um, I have a lot of experience in isolation because when I was very sick, I had to live at home and I was pretty housebound for around nine months. Uh, I was bedbound for five months. I couldn't hardly get out of bed. Um, so I'm pretty experienced in this sort of um, um COVID-19 scenario almost. Um, so I want to. I want my voice is to try and get people to use this time to make their bodies stronger, not sit there and order Domino's pizzas and Chinese takeaways. 
use this time to energize our body and our minds. Then when we come out of this, we are like supercharged, powerful human beings um, instead of the other way around. Um, I'm not saying everyone can't have a treat because they're going, they're going to definitely. Um, but I think once you can fall into that circle of just watching Netflix every day and eating pizza every day, you know, it can kind of, it can, it's a domino effect. Um, so yeah, I'm going to create recipes that are quick, easy and super delicious and nutritious, but also kind of have a bit of fun on there. So we do live videos so people can ask me any questions on my story or plates, you know, because a lot of people that come and eat at plates have so many questions. Um, so now it's the time that they can do that and connect with me. So at the moment it's um, through Instagram, but we're actually going to set up a YouTube channel, um, I think even today, um, and we're going to start with uh, taking that over to YouTube next week as well. So at the moment it's on Instagram, we're doing um, the cook-alongs on Fridays and Sundays. Um, so Friday nights, as Kurt mentioned, and then Sunday afternoons. Um, and they're all geared around like highly nutritious recipes that are fun and easy to make. Um, so yeah definitely if um, anyone's interested in, in following along it's uh, plates underscore London on Instagram Fab I was just going to ask you that you've done it for me very, <laughs> <laughs> very impressive you're anticipating my questions um, awesome okay well I will definitely be dialing in for that chilli because that sounds amazing yeah. um, so I guess um, related to that and just one final question for you um, probably one for Kirk is just around obviously like you said you want people to come out of this stronger and healthier and um, you gave quite an inspiring speech about making sure that you don't just sit around and that you actually do get something out of this and try and make yourself healthier um, what have you got any I, I suppose uh, recipes quick quick fire recipes that people can make with their store cupboard ingredients what would you say are some kind of pantry essentials um, that you could recommend to people if they're a bit stuck for for what they're going to eat tonight or tomorrow in terms of what sort of vegetables you should have the, in the oven and stuff well just I mean what... yeah anything like that or, or maybe even a couple of recipes um, things that we can kind of um, uh, just suggest to our to our listeners yeah i'll tell you one of my favorite ones and actually when um, when i first turned uh, vegan like four years ago i actually did this with keely and we did it on the barbecue a bit um but now we kind of do it do it at home and everyone rushing it's it's just such a great and delicious dish um and the good thing about when all this uh, corona stuff kicked off the first thing i went and bought was four butternut squashes because number one butternut squashes keep really well so they don't go moldy for you know a couple of weeks um, and basically, you just split the butternut squash in half lengthways, scoop out the seeds, sc- score it, so like crisscross it, rub some garlic, ginger, and some fresh chili on there, a little bit of olive oil and some salt, and wrap it up in parchment paper and just bake it at 180 degrees for about an hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes, just depends on the quality of your oven, um, until it's super tender. And I'm telling you, you just eat that just out of the paper bag, like steam hot. It is one of the most delicious things ever. That sounds amazing. You, so it's almost like a bit of a steak. It's so delicious. And obviously yeah. you can build a meal around that, you know, add salads to it, add veg, add rice, add grains, add We put anything. rice on the top of it sometimes. And it's honestly, it's cheap and it's so fulfilling and it's just really satisfying. It makes you feel really good. And it's healthy. Wow, that sounds amazing. You do, you hear about cauliflower steaks and stuff like that all the time, don't you? But I've never heard of a butternut squash steak, but yeah, I'm sold. Try it. <laughs> and you can also whack it in tin foil, add any other spices, you know, if you've got a favourite spice or something, whack it all in there. 
Yeah, yeah, cumin works really well. Um, any spices like that. And the great thing is, if you you know if you bake two, you can have one for dinner, and then you put the one in the fridge, and you just break it up and put it in your salad the next day, or make a fried rice with it. Or I made a vegetable broth with it uh, yesterday, and you just drop in the butternut squash. It's just like super delicious. It's just like butter. And this is the thing that I've been trying to work on for so many years is people tell me that you need butter to make things rich and it's it's so wrong. Vegetables are rich. You've just got to understand which vegetables are rich and use them in the right ways. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, that sounds amazing as well. I definitely definitely give that one a go. It, so- it sounds like even I couldn't mess that up. So <laughs> that's, that's really good to know. You have to, you have to be a pretty bad cook to mess that up. <laughs> um, awesome. Um, listen, guys, that was absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, Keely, where can, where can people find your online store? Uh, is there a link available yet? Or maybe we can share one when yeah, the podcast goes out? through the website site which is plates-london.com it's not actually going to go live till next week the shop but um the best way is to follow us on social and then we'll be pushing all the notifications as to when it's live amazing brilliant thank you so much kirk and keely you've been fab thank you thank you take care stay safe bye bye, bye. okay so inevitably what we're curious about this week is um is coronavirus and and how it might impact the future of veganism so cast your mind back a month ago you know when the world as it used to be um and veganism was really surging in the uk so there's a shopping comparison website called finder.com which i'm sure you're familiar with sarah (laughs) no but yep carry on Okay, so they reckon, okay, you know, obviously not a great authority, but I think there's often a grain of truth in this stuff. And they reckon that the number of vegans in the UK now is about 1.1 million. So up from 600,000 a couple of years ago. At the same time, you know, we're seeing things like um, Neat Burger. So Neat Burger owned by Lewis Hamilton. The idea is he wants to introduce a kind of um, vegan McDonald's. and this week, he's announced opening the, the Neat Burgers opening in a load of new places in London. There's eight new shops. They're obviously only doing takeaway for now, but you know they're obviously very, very confident about the future of veganism. Um, there's also figures from the states which say from uh, Nielsen, who are the kind of key market data company over there, uh, pointing out that sales of vegan food is rocketing. You know, during the lockdown, people are kind of mm-hmm. buying a lot of basics and vegetables. Um, and specific vegan products too. So veganism kind of came into coronavirus, obviously having this massive surge. But kind of where we are now, no one really knows where we're going to be or how long it's going to be, you know, how long we're going to be in lockdown, whether we're going to be doing social distancing on and off, and whether that's going to be for six months, a year, two years. I mean, in theory... um, until we get a universal vaccine, which is available everywhere, um, we're going to be living with this. So, Sarah, I wanted to pick your brains then. So how do you think coronavirus is going to impact on the future of veganism? So I've got a series of statements here that I think um, may be true. And I, that I, I, you know, I personally believe, but um, I wonder what you think about them, whether you think they're true so I'm going to say the statement. I want you to say whether you think they're true or false. Um, and secondly, how are they going to impact on whether we're going to see more people become vegan or not? You ready? 
ready as I'll ever be. These are big questions, I'm sure, but I'm embracing myself. Yep. Okay. So first one is that food is becoming ever more important. So let's be honest, there's very little to do on lockdown apart from watch old episodes of Friends and do video conferencing and, and, uh, you know, sit in your garden if you're lucky enough to have one. So everything seems very focused on food at the moment. So my theory is that People are going to get very bored eating the same things. And actually, people will go, oh, vegan food. Let's try some of that because they want to try new things. So do you think that's true, false? Mm. Um, I would say it's – by the way, do you know the answer to these or are these no, just – No, I'm just making – Oh, right. Okay. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. Um, I think that – I think it's false, I would say. Um why do I think it's false? I, I, I don't think that, uh, I think generally, zooming out for a second, human beings are quite resistant to change. There's been a lot of change just recently and all of it um, has been quite limiting for people in terms of their kind of day-to-day, what you might be doing, what you're thinking and feeling and probably, you know, it's impacting people's mental health, staying at home or kind of being worried and anxious about um, people that they know and love maybe becoming unwell. I just don't think it's the time for people to buy to try new things from a, from a food point of view. I think you'd be, I mean, if I wasn't a vegan, I'd probably be clinging to my Sunday roast just as that like moment in the week that feels normal and stable. So we, um, know, so, we know and love basically. So you, so, you think that's right? Yeah. I think it's false, yeah. Okay, all right. Second one then. Um, There are lots of stories about how coronavirus emerged, but there does seem to be a link with the wet meat markets in China. So Mm -hmm. eventually there's a link at which, you know, Peter, the people for the ethical treatment of animals have sought to underline, which is that, you know, there is a link between the development of these viruses not just that but SARS and obviously other viruses too with eating meat and eating weird kinds of meat specifically so do you think that's going to put people off eating meat no I don't why not well because yeah well like Peter to one side which obviously you know, as an organisation, any excuse to to relate Be veganism nice uh, to something to something positive or uh, meat eating to something negative, they're going to take it. But um, I just, I mean, for example, the labelling of it for like the branding of it, right? Coronavirus, COVID nineteen, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, uh, it's not bird flu, is it? Do you know what I mean? So, so people aren't immediately yeah yeah pangolin flu whatever it might be it's people aren't um in immediately going to relate it back to uh eating animals eating meat uh why would they it's not called anything to do with that um a lot of people probably don't even know that it's from a wet market in china they know it's from wuhan that's the thing that uh, gets talked about in the headlines um and i honestly don't think that people see any evidence of consuming meat products or dairy products has any influence on this at all um i think the things that people know are important are are you healthy if you're healthy then um your kind of uh, immunity hopefully will uh support you in fighting off the virus if you get it um and then you know i i I just don't really see as it has any bearing on it i don't think people will see that link at all um and i'm not even sure if the link exists well i I don't think we no one really knows do they um 
But I mean, you know, there's certainly a lot of evidence that says it comes from the wet markets. But how it got from um, an animal to a human being, um, it might surprise you to know I'm not a virologist. So um... no, well, but this is it as well. Is like the transmissions human to human, right? I mean, they, they in the early days they were saying, oh, you shouldn't be petting your dog, and then or someone else's dog or something because dogs uh, might carry the virus. But mm. now that's sort of been poo-pooed a bit, hasn't it? So. I actually don't think that it, because the transmission is person to person, I don't think people will see any link to, to consuming animal products. No. Okay. So we've, you know, shot that one down then. So, um, okay. Third one, um, people will equate the coronavirus with climate change. So the idea here is that um, even though specifically the coronavirus isn't um, part of climate change, I think there's a general feeling that it is part of this, like the way we live our lives now, we're messing with the planet so much that we need to kind of make amends and we obviously one of the reasons why a lot of people are vegan is because they want to reduce the amount of their carbon footprints um and this just fits in the whole kind of narrative about people wanting to do their bit and coronavirus is another reason that will encourage them to adopt um a vegan diet Mm. um that is interesting so i think uh a few things, probably. Um, like you say, I don't think there is any evidence to suggest that um, coronavirus has uh, resulted from climate change or anything of the sort. Although, actually, um, the WHO, I've been reading a few things around this um, because I'm obviously a complete dork. And um, they have said that some uh, d- like diseases like malaria and that sort of stuff can actually be spread um, through extreme weather events and that sort of thing. So there is, it, it is it, in some cases, in some um, sort of diseases, there is evidence to suggest that climate change is antagonizing the, the spread of those, but COVID yeah. is not, is not one of those. Um, so I think the connection to, to climate change is not necessarily particularly clear cut, although obviously in a strange way, the climate could be one of the kind of key beneficiaries of all of this social distancing and the fact that, you know, most countries are ground to a halt. There's no travel. Um, there's no pollution. Um, you know, it remains to be seen what's, what, what will, the impact of that will be longer term and whether that's something that can um, continue. But certainly that's, that's one thing that um, I could see as a potential relationship to climate change. And then I guess the second thing is that could be potentially beneficial in terms of a long term outcome is that people see um, that global um, climate change as more of an issue. Because I think one of the things that COVID-19 has has sort of driven home to people um, is that it's forcing people to think about the world as a collective society, not just about their town or their country or their city or whatever it might be. and actually to think about it on a global scale and mm. think about the kind of global climate emergency and and almost translating that kind of quite ethereal concept um, into something that people now understand. And maybe there will be some sort of more concerted collective action as a result because people are seeing that actually we're all connected and that we're all part of the same, yeah, ecosystem, the same uh, the same lifeblood. Sure. Um, and so maybe... Maybe it will help in the longer term, okay. um, but yeah, does that make sense? Well, I yeah, kind of feel yeah, like I just like rambled. Yeah, you obviously always ramble, but um, that fits in quite <laughs> nicely, dovetails nicely into the, the next one, which is I think people are going to eat more local food, and hopefully, a lot more of that will be plant based. Mm. Yes, I think they will as well. I think they'll definitely eat more local food. I mean, I think that um, scarcity, right? So, and by scarcity, I mean 
you can't get anything in the supermarkets. It's an absolute nightmare. Like people stockpiling, etc. Uh, scarcity focuses the mind. So you always focus on the things that you don't have, which is why people, like you said at the beginning, are becoming much more food orientated yeah. um, because it's like a psychological principle that if you don't have something, you're fixated on it. Um, so I think that people will start to think a little bit more carefully about um, what and where they're buying things from in the future and maybe appreciate their food a little bit more. Um, and I think maybe they'll eat more organic food as well mm-hmm. as the sort of fear of, uh, potentially the fear of things like pesticides and that sort of thing is um, enhanced because people sort of fear contamination of their food potentially as there's obviously been this kind of pandemic that's affected everybody. Um, so, yeah, I hope people will eat more more locally and seasonally i think that's the other thing isn't it it's quite quite kind of key that we really don't do here um just checking packets of stuff so when everything is more widely available just trying to make sure that you do buy the thing that is is better for the planet and and hopefully that will be a bit of a long tail but yeah i definitely think shopping shopping locally um will increase i mean certainly i've pretty much only shopped locally um and by locally, I mean like opposite my house. <laughs> I've just been going back and forth to the co-op well, a few I times a week. The case for a lot of people. Exactly. Yeah. Um, okay. The last one is. Um, I think it's fairly inevitable that um, the coronavirus is going to lead to a pretty, pretty serious downturn of the economy, global recession. No one knows how bad it's going to be. So I think people will have less money. So I can see two things here. Mm. So firstly, if they've got less money, they, one, they're going to have to be more careful about what they buy generally. And then secondly, there's a lot of vegan businesses that have grown up in the last uh, two years, three years, um, that may be, end up offering products and things that are just too expensive. What you mean, because veganism is o- o- often seen as a kind of like um as an expensive choice when it comes to what eating out or even just like buying vegan meat and stuff maybe it's more about eating out really yeah yeah there's a lot of vegan businesses are really struggling at the moment um inevitably because all businesses are struggling or almost all businesses are struggling um you know hopefully at some point you know they're going to bounce back but you know i wonder if we'll have less money to think, oh, do you know what, I'm going to go out and eat or I'm going to spend more money on takeaway because just people won't have the money in the future. Yeah, it's hard to know, isn't it? I think that's like a really complicated sort of practical from an economics perspective, but then also psychological because people, I mean, certainly I'm already, we've talked about this, we're already thinking about where we're going to go and eat after this is all over, aren't we? Sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I think there, there probably will be a little bit of a surge in people going out and uh, maybe they'll be so happy to be free and and to almost have that kind of carefree thing back in their life that they won't mind if they go into their overdraft or a broke one month because they went out i don't know it's it's difficult to 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 know isn't it but i do think it will have a really long-term impact on all businesses and obviously vegan businesses included because this is such a massive hit for for them particularly people in retail and hospitality um and events and that sort of stuff so it will be really interesting to see what happens and how how they can get back on track but i think those like those vegan faithfuls um will come back because people will will really um once we do get out 
and we are able to go out for dinner and I think people will try their best to support them. Mm. Um, and you know what? A lot of them are doing delivery services now, aren't they? Like um, I saw uh, like Vida Bakery in Brick Lane, um, famous for like vegan cupcakes and that sort of stuff yeah. and cookies. They've started um, a delivery service and a lot of them have done that. So, I mean, hopefully that can keep them all going, um, even if it is at a lower level until things open up again. Okay, so 2019 was basically the year of veganism. Yeah, 2020 um, probably won't be remembered as the year of veganism. So, no, what, definitely not. Where do you think ultimately will be in a year's time if we're having a conversation? Then, do you think that you know people mm. almost like you know? I mean, there was a point, wasn't there, in January where you could pick up like the Metro or something and, and like a third of the stories would be vegan related, you know, actually, yeah. but you know what I mean? Um, yeah. So where are we going to be in a year then? Oh, I mean, I think 2020 is the year of COVID-19, right? I mean, that's sort of going to dominate the headlines, going to dominate discussion probably for the rest of the year. Um, and I guess what I said at the beginning, maybe I just don't think people will be thinking, Oh, I, I want to switch to a plant-based diet right now um, with everything that's going on, but maybe as it becomes less intense, you know, and there's some relaxation of social distancing, maybe that will make people think about how they can be healthier um, and, and almost kind of uh, make them sort of reassess their lives and how, um, how healthy they really are and asking themselves questions about what they're eating. Um, But I think it, I mean, it might plateau, I guess. The, the growth has been so strong over the past three years that I can't imagine it growing at the same rate, um, even though I'm sure it will grow a little bit more. That's, That's so probably depressing. what I would say. You've really depressed me now. I'm so sorry. That is depressing, isn't it? Well, <laughs> let's be honest. You know, we're, you know, it's 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 not, it, it's pretty depressing era to be alive in. But, you know, as I say, you know, we'll come through this, I'm sure we will come through this and society is going to change. I think there are a lot of things. I mean, I think one thing that's going to change is that working from home is going to become almost like a norm for a lot of people. So, you know, those Pret-a-Manger sandwiches, vegan sandwiches, you're not going to be having them anywhere near as often. So there are, there are, there are impacts of the virus that people haven't even thought about yet. Um, Yeah, exactly. You know, life is going to change. But anyway, go on then. Give me something positive and uplifting to finish on then. Something positive and uplifting. Um, well, I would. What I would say is that um, one of the things that Kirk and Keely were talking about earlier on in the interview was that they're going to be doing some cook-alongs. Okay. Um, so I'm definitely, I'm definitely going to be joining those, sign up for those. Uh, because, yeah, exactly. Definitely sign up for those on Instagram, and uh, I'm trying to do one new thing um, every day, which is after three weeks proving quite challenging yeah um but even if it's just like small little things um just you know to to this evening i'm probably going to start reading a new book um which i'm actually quite excited about and i never really thought that i would get quite excited about reading a new book but it puts things in perspective i think we should finish it there perspective perspective exactly and uh 
I'm sure we will be talking about this again over the coming weeks. Um, but uh, if anybody does have any questions or thoughts or feedback, um, then as always, you can contact us on vegancuriouspodcast at gmail.com and you can find us on all the socials at So Vegan Curious. Thanks ever so much for listening and stay safe. Save the planet and make it heal. You can help by eating a vegan meal. Come join us if you're vegan curious. No animals in your meals. Nothing tastes as good as being vegan feels. Come join us if you're vegan curious. And don't feel sad, don't feel blue. So ain't so bad, I swear it's true. Just use the right condiments and you'll even like tofu. Don't be furious, just be vegan curious. Life is good, life is sweet. When on your plate there is no meat, come join us. If you're vegan curious Come join us